Old Testament readings that has just enough Old Testament names in it to qualify for what the clergy refer to, uh, at least in private conversation, as one of those reading from the Jerusalem phone book messages. <laughs> but beyond all those complicated names, and congratulations to our reader for getting through them just fine, uh, if anyone wants to read some more, you can come to my office and we'll go through a couple of chapters of Ezra and Nehemiah, and I can get you over any such desire pretty quickly. But Haggai is one of the least known of the very least known 12 minor prophets. Uh, you'll recall that I and my teaching team did a few weeks series opening up this fall's teaching on those minor prophets. And my claim and our claim in that class was that there are major messages from minor prophets and Haggai speaks today and this is the one and only time in the entire year, in fact in the entire three-year cycle that Haggai gets a chance to say anything to us. You will not hear this lesson for three years. You won't hear any other lesson from Haggai, and for that you can give thanks. <laughs> but there is something wonderful promised in this reading today, and it has with all of the, the, the lines about the restoration of the glory of the temple and all of that, still buried in the middle of it so that it almost slips by is a promise from God delivered through Haggai and it goes like this. My spirit will be with you, fear not. My spirit will be with you, fear not. So just hold on to that. We're going to come back to it, unless I forget to come back to it, but that's what I want to preach about today, mostly. The temple that's being talked about here is what Bible scholars know as the second temple. First temple was built not by King David. He wanted to, about a thousand years before the time of Jesus. King David looked at his situation. He was secure. He had conquered all of his enemies. He was living peaceably in a cedar-lined palace in Jerusalem. And he looked at his own housing situation, and then he considered where the Ark of the Covenant and where the treasures that God had brought through the time of wandering in the wilderness were kept. And he could see that God's dwelling was still in the tent that had gone from place to place for all of those years and had been for some long time since neglected and beginning to fall apart. And so David, wanting to do the right thing, says, why should I live in a palace? Why should I have my cedar-lined rooms and my marble and the beauty of where I live and the Lord God dwells in a tent? I'm going to build him a temple. And one of the prominent prophets of the day, Nathan, the prophet who brought good news and bad news to David frequently, says, go for it, David. This will work very well. Except Nathan goes home that night, and the Lord God sends him a dream and says, go back tomorrow and tell David to mind his own business. I didn't order him to build a temple for me. I didn't intend for him to build a temple. He's not going to build a temple. 
It's up to me. It's my plan. I will choose the builder. I will choose the time. And so God did, in fact, and the assignment fell to David's son, Solomon. And Solomon built, about a thousand years before Jesus, an ancient wonder of the world, a beautiful place of worship with the greatest in architecture, the greatest of artistic treasure, more gold and silver involved than we can imagine. And that was thought to be the achievement for all time, except about 400 years later after the use of the temple had been well established and it was thought to be a permanent feature of their life, the Babylonian army came and destroyed Jerusalem and leveled the temple and stole all of the treasures and carried them away along with most of the people into what's known as the Babylonian exile, which you heard mentioned at the beginning of the reading from Haggai. So we're about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. We know that the date that's given there corresponds in our calendar to 520 B.C. And Haggai is encouraging those who have been at work with the king's permission to rebuild the destruction that the Babylonians brought, the foreign king who currently uh, controlled the whole territory was the king of Persia now and not the Babylonians. Uh, in case you're wondering, that would be like the modern fights between Iraq and Iran. It's nothing new. And the, the uh, Iranian territory, the Persian territory, controlled it all, and the king there had given permission for a rebuilding. That rebuilding had been going on for about 30 years. And Haggai is raised up by the Lord to bring a message that says, you know, the temple doesn't look like much compared to what you had before. And in fact, it didn't. There are places in the Old Testament history where those who could remember the glory of Solomon's temple before it was destroyed, they were very old by this time. But those who could remember it wept when they saw the kind of shadow of the old temple that was actually built. Resources were scarce, laborers were few, vision was short, imagination was absent, but they built a temple and the encouragement from Haggai's prophecy is very simple. It says, it may not look like much to you now, but I'm going to restore its glory. So take heart, I'm with you, my spirit is with you, Fear not, carry on with your work. And they did. And four years later, in the year 516, the temple was rededicated and began to be used for worship again. Now, speed ahead almost 500 years to the reign of Herod the Great, about 30 years before the birth of Jesus, Herod the Great, who was anything but great in terms of the way he ruled, he was a terrible tyrant, it is he, after all, who ordered the murder of the holy innocents at the time of the birth of Jesus. But he's remembered as a great builder, and he took this fairly meager and fairly disappointing temple and expanded it and improved it and enlarged it and built it, and it began to look like Solomon's days had come again. I'm sure that the people who saw Herod's improvements of the second temple 
remembered Haggai's words where it said, the glory will be restored. And in seeing what Herod had done, they probably thought that the prophecy was fulfilled and was true and complete. This is, after all, the temple that Jesus came to at age 10 or 11. And when he got separated from his parents, he stayed there in what he called was his father's house. This is the temple that Jesus visits frequently, the one that he cleansed by throwing out the money changers and the sellers of the sacrificial animals. It's the place where he did much teaching and much healing. One day, in the accounts in the gospel, according to St. Mark, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple, and one of the disciples says to Jesus, just look at these gigantic stones. Just look at these wonderful buildings. And Jesus answers that disciple and says, yes, you see all these wonderful buildings? He said, I tell you, not one stone is going to be left on stone. It's all going to be thrown down. Now, that doesn't sound like much to our ears, but to those who heard Jesus say that, he's saying that the re-achievement of Solomon's glory is worth nothing, and it's going to all go away. They must have been in shock. Another time, Jesus speaks of the temple, this time in the Gospel of Matthew, and he's disputing with some of his opponents, like the Sadducees or the Pharisees. It doesn't say who they were for sure, but they were disputing about keeping the rules of the Sabbath. And in this same passage, Jesus says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he says to his opponents who are telling him that he's not doing it right, he says to them, something greater than the temple is here. Now in their imagination, nothing was greater than the temple. There was nothing that could be greater than the temple of the Lord God Almighty. It was even the tool by which one would swear when pledging to tell the truth. I swear by the temple. I swear by the gold of the temple was a common expression in the ancient world. Nothing higher existed. And yet Jesus is asserting something greater than the temple is here. He's talking about himself, of course. And one more place where he speaks of the temple in the Gospel of John this time, he says, tear this temple down and I'll build it up in three days. And of course, John reports that those who heard him say that laughed and said, you've got to be kidding me. It took 46 years to build this temple. That's the time frame on Herod's improvements to the temple, 46 years. Say, so it took 46 years to build this temple up. You're going to tear it down and build it again in three days? Nonsense. But John goes on to explain that he's talking about the temple of his body. The temple of his body. You see, God had a plan for rebuilding the temple, but his new plan, the new plan through Jesus Christ, is not a rebuilding, it's a replacement. It's not a rebuilding, it's a replacement. It's not the old covenant dressed up, it's a new covenant. The whole Sabbath law is fulfilled in Jesus. The whole Mosaic customs and ritual 
the sacrifices are all fulfilled in Jesus. Remember, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And Jesus is the new temple. And sure enough, several things happened. They destroyed the temple of the body of Jesus, and in three days, it was raised up to eternal glory. And when it was raised up, Jesus Christ breathes his Holy Spirit into his disciples, now become apostles, and they, too, are beneficiaries of the real heart of Haggai's prophecy, which is, my spirit is with you, fear not. Now, that would be a great story if it ended right there, but it doesn't. It goes on to a couple of more things. First of all, Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem and the tearing down of the temple, not one stone left on stone, came about in the year 70. The Romans destroyed that second temple. And all of the delusions of the return to Solomon's glory were gone with it. But the temple's of the apostles grew into the temple of the entire church of Christ because every one of us who has been baptized into Jesus Christ's life and death and resurrection has received the promise of that same Holy Spirit. He has breathed it into us just as he did for those apostles. And as St. Paul says again and again in his letters, don't you know that you and you and you and me, that all of us are temples of the Holy Spirit and that God lives in us. Jesus Christ lives in us. That's the wonderful great news of things. So right now we're on the verge of Advent again. It's that time where we prepare to welcome Jesus, welcome him in the celebration of Christmas of his birth, and welcome him at the second day, at the second coming. Did you notice that in our collect for the day today, the prayer that we begin with, it's at the bottom of the page on your, on your bulletin, on the first page, that's all geared towards Jesus' second coming. We're praying that we can be purified as he was, and so that when he comes, we can be like him. And that has to do with this whole idea of Jesus cleansing the temple and of tearing down the things that need to be replaced and making them right. You know, the temple was never the kind of pure place that God intended it to be. The first temple became the scene of the worship not of the living and one true God, but of many, many of the false gods of the region, even setting up the shrines of those gods in the precincts of the Jerusalem temple. One of the reasons that God had it destroyed in the first place. And if you were to look in the mirror and try to assess the state of yourself as a temple of God, one of the good things to do during Advent is see what needs to be done to be ready for the coming of the King. What needs to be done so that I'm a temple fit for Him? What do I need to purify about myself, rebuild? You may be surprised to discover that there are some things that need to be done. I know I look into myself and I can see the presence of idols that are, I'm trying to make sure that there's room for the idols and room for Jesus at the same time. 
And idols come with as many different expressions as there are people in the room. Uh, sometimes there's sex, sometimes there's money, sometimes it's power, it's a house, it's clothing, it's money, you name it. But your temple may be crowded with idols of one kind or another. And to get them out, it may look as difficult and as time-consuming and as near impossible as the finishing of that temple in Haggai's day did. But fear not, you have the Spirit of the Lord with you, and fear is the only thing that gets in the way of moving the idols out. If you trust that God will do this and step aside and let Him do the heavy lifting, you will be free of that. And then you can move on to the second priority of rebuilding and sprucing up your temple for the coming of Jesus. And that is to get your priorities right. Because once you've got all the idols out of the way, then you have to make the love of God first. Because if the love of God isn't first, your love of yourself and your love of your neighbors will be selfish and incomplete. And it can become a danger to you rather than a blessing to you because you love the Lord your God first and it puts all of the other love that we share in focus and the greatest barrier to that is fear fear that God doesn't love you back fear of what you would do if you had to face him face to face but every week we pray no secrets are hidden from you Lord you know everything so let the Spirit of God work and bring you closer to the love of God so that the love of the people around you and the love of yourself is right. And then the third thing is to, once you've got the idols out, once you've got your priorities right, you can begin to focus entirely on Jesus Christ entirely on Jesus because one of the things we know about his coming again and we know this from St. John again in his revelation where he says that there is in the new Jerusalem there's something missing that you would expect to be there but it isn't there the new Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven you would think that in the middle of it there would be a glorious temple reconstructed, rebuilt, replaced like no other. But that's not what's there. In the New Jerusalem, in the last chapters of Revelation, there is no temple. The temple, says St. John, is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Focus on Him and let Him focus on you. Because that's how we become like him. That's in our prayer this morning. That we may be like him when he appears. And we will be like him when our focus is entirely on him. There is no other temple for Christians apart from the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And that's how we become like him. Amen.